Hi, it's Mark Rabin here. This is a special bonus episode. If you remember episode five that had Billy Taylor, we did a follow-up discussion. Uh, We did a LinkedIn live session today where we did a watch party. We streamed the episode and then we did an additional bonus Q&A together for about 30 minutes. So I am going to share that conversation here. And I hope you enjoyed this follow-up to Billy talking about his experiences as a manufacturing leader, what he means when he talks about uh, not adhering to the standard. Um, It's always great to hear what Billy has to say, and I think you'll enjoy this additional perspective from him. So as always, thanks for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. You can learn more about the podcast at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. All right. So Billy, it was fun uh, to revisit that. I haven't listened to the whole thing through in a while. I think same here. Same here. It's um, not fun to sit and watch and listen (laughs) to a recording of yourself for 25 minutes. So thank you for doing that. But um, first off, open-ended question for you. I mean, are there any other reflections or stories that come to mind, Billy, revisiting um, what, what you talked about there? I started with standards are not monuments, right? I have my personal standards and my personal experiences. Uh, I'm working with a client now where the evolution of learning uh, around your standards and, and, and what may have been great for you here um, may not work somewhere else. And so when you get so caught up in making standards monuments, I mean, you're setting yourself up for failure as well. Uh, but until you find something better or earn the right to do something better, do not waver. I mean, that's, it, it, that re, that's the most consistent lesson I've learned. Uh, hold true to the standard until you earn the right to get something better. And when you talk about fail, I mean, I don't mean to stop you. No, it's right. not because they have bad leaders, they have bad, bad standards. And the leader... In, in most cases, don't want to hold people to the standard. And I'd rather be respected than liked. Mm. And, and, and that there are connections there to what Toyota talks about, the phrase respect for people or respect for humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, from your experience, make, if you can elaborate a little bit, and, you know, sometimes even if a leader is being a servant leader, that doesn't mean people get to do whatever they want to do. This comes back to standards. But can you can you elaborate on this idea of, of of respect and holding people to the standard? Okay, let me start with respect is a two-way street. It's not a one-way lane. Whereas I should show respect to everyone and they don't have to show respect back. And so very clear to start there, respect for people, that's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. And as you and most people will respect you if you're consistent with the standard, where the disrespect happens is when you start wavering and your standards are flavors, flavor of the months, flavor of the day. And so to, to garnish that respect, it starts with one consistency, but it's a two-way street. It's, and that's how you build a culture around it. Um, you know, two of my favorite leaders, uh, and, I, and I'm a sports fan, but I admire uh, Nick Saban, 
uh, head coach of the University of Alabama football team, and Bill Belichick. I'm not too fond of their teams, per se. <laughs> but I am very, very impressed by the way they adhere to the standard. Now, I don't mean to dis- offend anyone, but I'm just keeping it – Just I'm going to keep it real in this discussion. They can take a person from a poverty-stricken neighborhood and a kid from a private school – and put them within that system where the standard is the standard and they consistently meet or exceed expectations. And you know what? It's not the championships that they're going to admire Nick Saban, the head coach for. The, 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 the players that come back, they don't talk about the trophies or the rings. They talk about the person that Nick Saban helped them become based on growing up in that culture. And so that's when you're saying respect for people. Listen, Billy Taylor, when he was in operations, especially at the end of my career, I wasn't working on my resume anymore. I was working on my obituary. Mm. See, here's what they're going to say when I'm not around anymore. And when when I post something on social media, they don't say we broke the tire record. They say, you know, when Billy was here, I could go in and speak to him. Or Sammy the janitor still texts me every holiday. Mm-hmm. That's around the respect, respect around consistency, constancy of purpose, and constancy of process. And you know, I think you, you you mentioned you know the janitor, and you know I think of you know respect for people. To me, means we treat everybody in the organization with respect that we recognize, regardless of educational attainment, um, that that people can be creative, that people can. Mm-hmm participate in improvement. Um, can, can you think back to times as a leader where you you saw that being violated or where you had to coach people up to saying, look, the standard is such and such about how we treat people within the organization, regardless of, you know, setting aside the numbers and, and thinking about um, standards and process and behavior. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll talk about decisions I had to make, first of all, starting there on who was going to be on the team, Mm. right? Uh, At some point, I didn't hire just on skill set and what was on your resume, right? I wanted to look at how you treated people. Mm -hmm. One, how did you respect yourself? Let's start with the respect for yourself. And then the second part of is now, how do you treat people? Because I'll tell you, companies will forsake you. Uh, an article is going to come out from a person who used to be on my team that works for another company. He, he recently wrote a letter. Letter. His name is Jimmy Giles, and he worked for, I think, Waterburger, and he left. And he, he wanted to tell a chicken noodle soup story. I would tell my team, the company may buy you chicken noodle soup, but who's going to feed it to you? Mm-hmm. And so it started with that level of respect at home as well as uh, as as well as at work. But for me... What I would look at is, though, what do you bring holistically to the table on how you treat people? How do you embrace the people that are on your team? Because if you can't let go without letting loose, then you're going to hold on to everything and your team's going to fail. They're going to fail. Um, You know, again, I don't want to keep going back to sports analogies, but it's like recruiting and building a team in sports. On paper, this person looks like this, this this Greek god, six foot seven and could run blazing speed at 4.2 seconds. The question is, can that person play? Mm-hmm. 
that's the that's the first question I want to answer. Can you play? And, and, and if you means, can't play, yeah, all that other stuff is no good. You went to Harvard, you went to Yale. I want that. They got you at the table. But can you play? And can you play means can you respect people? Mm-hmm. Can you treat people with dignity? And you know, when I would deal with with people, I think about men, women, children, would I treat my brother that way? Would I treat my mother that way? Would I treat my sister, my daughter that way? Leaders should ask themselves that question when they're having those kind of tough conversations. Yeah. Now, I, I, I praised in public, I reprimanded in private. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to do no dog and pony, but I will tell you, there was very few times that I compromised on that standard when you sit across from me, you knew where you stood. Yeah, and having that standard, the point two, makes that, you know, uh, it's not arbitrary. It's not Billy was in a bad mood, so he's taking it on me. There's a clear reason, and you can point to that not res- that, to that disrespecting of the standard. Absolutely. Yeah, when Absolutely. you talk about, you know, can a player play? I mean, there's a difference between the measured speed and being able to run in a straight line and stop quickly and jump high if you can't work within a team, like you think of, you know, you think of an environment. Um, we see this sometimes in a game. You've got this highly touted recruit who's had nothing but success. And then the first time they start facing challenges, you would hate to see, let's say, the quarterback turn on the teammates mm-hmm. and yell at a lineman for missing a block or yell at a wide receiver for dropping a pass. Mm-hmm. Some of those key performance actions, as yes. you put it, are, uh, important if we're going to hit key performance indicators. Absolutely. And, you know, when I'd build a team and I still do it today, I would get this nice resume and, and I'd probably read that resume for maybe 10 minutes. And then the interview, I would push it to the side hmm. and I would engage in a real cultural discussion. And I had some scripted questions and it would sort out the mindset of the person. It was sort of out of what what were the things that were important to that person? What what were the drivers in their leadership style? Mm-hmm. Because if you can't explain it, then you don't understand it, or you're making it up. Yeah, you're making. And I want to hear from you uh, some examples. And, and often when I when I uh, interview people, I'll ask, "Give me your top three strengths." And I say, "But if you give me a strength, prove it. Don't just tell me." Prove it. Show me a newsletter. Show me something that would validate what you just said. And adults, they get stumped. They they freeze up. Uh, They want to tell me I work hard. I come to work every day. You know, I'm dedicated. Those things that that you can just throw against the wall. I want to hear how you turn the team. I want to talk about what was your greatest lesson uh, kind of like your favorite mistake and how did you overcome it? Yeah. Walk me through the things you did, because if you a person can walk me through that, that's the mark of a good leader. Can they be agile? That's important. How, how do you manage conflict? You know, nothing's perfect. I, I would always say, look, do you live with someone? Are you married? If it's perfect, you know, teach me. <laughs> Right. Because I laugh. I Sometimes I get two options at home being married. I can be happy or I can be right. I can't be both. So I've been happy a long time. 
there's a good leadership lesson there, not always having to be right, regardless of uh, personal or professional context. Um, right. And um, yeah, you got to pick your battles. You can't, you know, when I say standards and even right, happy or right, I, I have those conversations around the standard. I don't violate the stand, standards. Yeah. Um, Billy, we've got a question uh, coming in here uh, from my friend, Chris Burnham. Um, he asks, uh, can you talk about establishing a standard where there might not be a standard yet? Mm -hmm. and I think you start first of all with the, with the why. What's the case for change, right? What's that purpose on why you, why do you even need a standard? And from that, you talk about what's the variance? Why is it everything's sporadic? Why do you need that? And what are you trying to control? And from that, now you grant gain consensus. You know, play catch ball with the key stakeholders. Get the feedback from everyone. I think you'll land on a spot uh, where this is what the standards needs to be. And then after you do, you create the standard, don't just throw it out there and hope it sticks. Move to a KPA mindset. Now I have the standards. If we do these things, which are the standard, we will get this one thing that we need or we require. So let's see. So one, one other thing I was going to ask you to elaborate on, Billy, um, in the episode, you talked about asking employees, what do you need from me? Mm -hmm. um, can, can you elaborate on um, you know, servant leadership a little bit more broadly and, and what that means to you? Well, and so in the video, I talk about right, me working for the team, the team not working for me. Let me start there. Now, what I also mean, you have to be very clear of what, what need is, right? Just think about me. I want a Bentley car. I need a ride to work. They're different, <laughs> okay? And people will kind of gravitate to the want versus the need. Now, if I've given you or we've, we've enabled you with everything you need to be successful, then the next part of that is you're accepting something. So you've got everything you need. The next question is, why do you accept that? Why do you accept people not following the standards? Because you have everything you need. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes is, is it capability or is it desire? Mm. You've got to sort that out. See, I can improve some capabilities, but desire, that person doesn't want to be there. And that's kind of like fit. And, and, and it's better to, if you can't convert those leaders, it's better to cut them early than to cut them late. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and when I mean, I don't mean to be harsh, but I need to be real with you. Okay. When I had to make some of those tough decisions, it wasn't a whole team. It was one or two individuals that were influencing the team. Mm. And so I had to make those tough calls and I had to do that. And I would say probably three or four occasions on a new team for alignment, because if I didn't, that person would torpedo the whole team's efforts uh -huh. because it was all centered on them. So I had to make those decisions to, I mean, get some of those bad people off the team. Yeah. And I did it fact-based, right? It wasn't opinion-based. Uh -huh. and, and I didn't want uh, a lot of people uh, like me around me. That was another core 
principle for mine. I understood where I was weak or I wasn't as strong. So I built a team around me that would complement me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. And, 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 and I would say, you know, it, it sounds funny until you get to the punchline. It says, yeah, I'm very smart. Right. I've got, got 13 degrees. I'm very smart. And people say, 13 degrees. And I'm, yes, I was smart enough to earn two. Right. And I hired 11. <laughs> and I use all 13. Yeah. Because I, 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 I don't know what I don't know, but I know what I need. And so I don't have time to write the communications letter. I don't have time to write the safety protocol. I don't have time to, but if I build a team around me that complement me, we build a, a standard of, op, of an operating system where we manage the intersections. And it's very clear. If you can see behind me, that would be, those are intersections. Those little pictures behind me. I know they're hard to see, and this is just where I'm at at the time, but those are intersections. All right. And, and if you look at the top, the bigger square, that's how you're doing month to day to the right. It's year to day. But if you look below those three signs, it's like all three of those added up equals the big square up top. Right. So what that tells you is who owns what. And if you see the picture. That's the owner at the intersection. Mm. Mm. I want ownership. Uh, right. Ownership trumps accountability. Right. And when people know what they own, they'll give you their very best to the standard. If you ever rented a car, when you rent that car, you're going to take care of it. But do you treat that car like you do the one you have at home that you own? No. I I heard somebody say once, um, this is probably true. Nobody ever washes a rental car before they return it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's a fact. One other thing I was I was wondering if you could elaborate on, Billy, um, you talked about the idea of bringing your holistic self to work. Can, can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about what that means to you? Like what's the loss to individuals and the loss to an organization when people are not able to bring their whole authentic self to work? Right. They're checking their brain. People tend to check their, their, their skill set, their brains, uh, their innovative ideas. They keep them to themselves because one, it's not safe and they can't be their authentic self. Uh, people hold back. And I've really saw this throughout my career, uh, really, and people from my my personal experience, I'm not saying this is the case in every other organization, people from India would come to me and they were bright, but the culture would kind of kind of alienate them. And so with our with our ERGs, and I, I, I would walk around as, as chief uh, diversity officer and I would see these clusters of people eating and, and, and they were like minded and they didn't feel that they could be their authentic self. But then we created platforms where people can like it was part of my daily management system for employee resource groups where it was required that you do one networking event a, a quarter. It was required that you do one learning event, learning and development event a quarter. It was required that you did one community outreach in that diff- that demographic. What that did was make them, allow them a platform to come to work as their authentic self. And when you can't be your authentic self, then you go into a shell. Now this is humbling, but this is true about me in my career. I moved from a plant-based operation where I was the plant leader to a corporate base. And I literally shut down my first stint and, and 
corporate America. I'd be in meetings, but I wouldn't say anything. It just didn't feel safe for me. Mm. Right. And, 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 you know, so I didn't bring my best self to work until I read the book, The Four Agreements by Miguel Ruiz. And when I read that book, it was life changing for me. Uh, Miguel Ruiz is the four agreements. Agreement number one. Right. Uh, be impeccable with your words. Agreement number two. Right. Don't assume anything. Agreement number three. Don't take it personal. But sometimes people are just who they are. And agreement number four, always be at your best. And so at that point, I realized that Billy had a value proposition that I could bring to the table. And I became a greater asset for the company. But when people can't show up as their authentic self or they're sh- they, they are shut down, I mean, you don't have a culture of innovation. You don't have a culture of growth. All right? People are just coming in to check a box and get their paycheck and go home. Yeah. We need more than that for sure. Um, I want you to be who you are. I want you to be yourself. And that's kind of why catch ball and a lot of exercise is one of the best tools I've used because some of your, 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 your best and brightest tend to hold back sometimes mm-hmm. because they're not outspoken. They're introverted. And if you don't have a method to, to create that safe space, then you're not going to get those best ideas. Um, one other question that comes to mind, um, you know, you went, as you were saying, from plant leadership to corporate roles in, in operations, and then um, you were in a, a diversity and inclusion role. What did you learn um, during the time in that role that stands out most to you, Billy? People want to feel valued over everything else. I don't care if you're the janitor or the CEO, people want to feel valued. And people, when they when when they do not feel that that their value or that value proposition, they quit companies, they quit leaders. And when you start the engagement process, center it on value, value to the customer, right? Value to the company, and just as important, value to the every individual. You know, I have the two foot rule. If I get within two feet of you, I say hello. I don't care if I know you or not, especially if I'm in a plant. I, I just say hello. That little gesture in itself, it makes people feel important. It feels that they're, that, that, that they're valued and they want to give you more. They want to. I'm working with a leader now, and I always say I give people their flowers when I can see them. And this this, this leader, I'm working with him now. He's actually in the room uh, in the building, and he showed up as a as a senior leader. He's present. What he's doing is he's setting the standard. Right. That's what's unique. Those are lessons learned. And if you set the standard, everybody else thinks it's safe. It's okay to participate, to engage when you don't have that. Right. When you do something to me rather than with me. Then I I, I still have the shield up. Yeah. Right. And in some cases, you'll ask me, Billy, is are we going to. Uh, is this what we're going to do? Uh, we're going to put the system in place. Here's what I'm saying. Yes, we're going to put it in place. Sure. Well, we're going to put it in place. <laughs> my my mindset is, yeah, we're going to do it. Just let me know what to do. But it never happens. And people can't be their authentic self. But if I ask you, how should we do it? What do you think? 
You know, that's why we do the purpose map. It's built by the team. So it's not Billy's purpose map. It's the team's purpose map. Yeah. And everybody we work with, they initially want to call it the LinkedIn process. We're doing the LinkedIn process. And I say, from this point forward, do not call it the LinkedIn process. I want you to call it your name, your operating system. Yeah. The blank, blank operating system. When that happens, it's authentically theirs and they embrace it. There's ownership. Right? When, when, when they don't embrace it, then I own it. And when I leave, and what's another thing that's interesting, mindset. Think just mindset. When I give a proposal to work with somebody, I don't give them a proposal to stay with them. In the statement of work, it's an exit strategy. Yeah. I want to be walking away in six months. That means if you follow the standard 350 degrees for 30 minutes, you'll have a strong foundation that'll catapult you. But it's based on ownership and value. They feel valued to graduate from stage to stage. And so my greatest lesson is make people feel valued. And and here's one of my favorite quotes. If you make people visible, they will make you valuable. So the talk Every time about- if you make people visible, even at the hotel office, if you speak to those people at the front desk in the restaurant, just say hello. Yeah. Watch the care you get. Yeah. Um, one, one last sports analogy uh, I'm going to bring up. Have you seen uh, the show Ted Lasso? No. Uh, it, it, it's, it's in a nutshell about an American football coach. So an American who coaches American football gets hired to come to England to coach a premier league. Some will cringe at me saying soccer, but you know, come to coach what, what they would call um, football. And one of the things that really stands out to me, um, been going back and watching it a second time, um, Ted is new to that club. And he meets um, the equipment manager, who's like the lowest level person in the entire locker room. And Ted asks him, what's your name? And, and he, he's taken aback. Um, he said, well, my, my name's Nate. Like you could tell, like nobody ever asked his name. And I think, well, how, how sad or how powerful or you know, good on Ted. And then later that day or the next day, um, coach Ted Lasso says, you know, hey, Nate. And Nate says out loud, you remembered my name and it's so simple, mm-hmm. but you know, that, that you, what, what you're saying reminds me of. That's right. Of that it scene. is. Yeah. It, it, it's not simple. It, it's value, right? It's, it's value. Taking that time to. Yes. No, not those are standards though. They yeah. goes back to standard. What's your standard? What's your standard? And those key performance actions on how we treat. Yes. Right. The key performance indicator is too late. Right. The KPAs deliver the KPI. If I want to lose weight, standing on the scale is the KPI. Mm -hmm. But if I watch what I eat and if I go to bed on time and if I exercise, those are KPAs. We should spend just as much time focusing and measuring the KPAs as we do focusing on the KPI. All right. Well, I think that's a great thought to uh, to leave things on. So we're, we're at the top of the hour. So um, I think we'll wrap up. I want to thank everybody uh, for tuning in and, and watching live and for submitting comments and questions. I want to thank everyone if you're watching the recording. Um, thank you for doing so. I want to thank Billy 
thank you for taking time to sort of build upon that conversation in the podcast. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Mark. And it was humbling to have a global audience uh, from all over the world. Um, I'm flattered. That's that value proposition. I have to be honest. Um, as I say, I'm just a little quiet, shy guy from Texas. And so uh, <laughs> I thank you all for, for supporting me. And uh, there will be a book coming out uh, later in the year that's talking about this, everything Mark and I talk about. And, it, and basically it's called the Linked X process. So how do you connect the intersection? So, Mark, thank you for having me. And I apologize. I uh, part of my standard and my notes here. I was going to ask about the book, and I apologize for not no, doing we, that. We've covered everything that's going to be in the book. <laughs> well, looking forward to that, and uh, I'll post updates on LinkedIn as as that book is becoming available. Um, and and please do check out Billy's website, um, www.linkedxl.com. Yes. All right. Good to see you again, as always, Billy. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.